counseling course, and it happens to be here. Probably was years ago, still here. Been there for six years. But anyways, uh, uh, this was this was this this uh, biblical counseling diagram was, was so helpful for me, and um, and it really revolves around um, the, the the consequences for for good behavior and the consequences for bad behavior. And uh, this is kind of basically this this uh, this chart. Uh, let me make it this chart here. I'll come a little closer. It basically, it kind of represents your heart. Um, this is your heart, and um, uh, this is the situation, the heat of your situation. And um, you know, I'm counseling somebody when their lives are a big mess. It, it's really good to just kind of show them this this, this simple diagram of how, uh, this is how life works. And um, so what usually happens is uh, there's something in, 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 my, in my heart that, I, that that's sinful, something false that I believe in, uh, an, an idol that I want. Um, and uh, so uh, number one, uh, th okay, okay got it, I got it, I got it, okay, it's been a while. Number one, this is the situation. It starts here. It always starts by some external thing that's going on. Um, my, uh, my coworker, for example, uh, gets in my face, yells at me, is, is, treats me uh, really poorly, and I respond with number two, with bad fruit. I look at him back and I say, you big loser, you know, how dare you talk to me this way? Um, the reason I said that, the reason I said that wasn't because of the heat of the situation. It wasn't because of the sun. And people think, oh, they, what, do they, what do they do when you act poorly, when you sin against somebody in response to their sinfulness, what do you usually do? You blame the situation. You blame the person. You blame I was tired. I was in a bed. I was, you know, it was really hot. I, you know, it was my, 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 my uh, I couldn't pay rent. My car broke down. And so you blame the bad fruit on the heat of the situation when the problem was this. It was the heart. It was the heart. And the reason why I responded so poorly to my coworker or boss yelling at me is because probably there's this idol in my heart of wanting to be respected, of wanting to be a, a, a treated uh, like something more than I am. And because I, I there's a, there was this idolatry in my heart to be respected, guess what? I responded in a particular way, and the consequence was, the consequence of my bad fruit was that my boss fired me. My boss fired me, right? And so, this is what happened in this bad situation. The heat of the moment caused me to react sinfully. The source of that poor reaction was my heart. And the effect, the consequence, was uh, I was uh, uh, I was fired from my job. And what, what the Bible tries to do is, instead of kind of staying in this place, like most people, when, when they just, they're just stuck, when they're sinning and they're not rep uh, repenting, they just stay here. They stay here. And it's just put this, this cycle that goes back and forth. And what do we want to do when we have this bad root? We want to repent. We want to believe. We want to turn to Christ. 
We want to be to be forgiven. We want his power. We want to obey him. And that and when we do that, when we turn to Christ, what does he do? He gives us a good heart. And now instead of one, having the idol of wanting to be respected, my heart wants to please God. It wants to please God. And so now I get rehired by a by a, a new company. So, uh, I have another bad boss, and the boss yells at me again. And you know what? Because my heart is right, guess what? I'm silent, and I said, "Oh, sure, uh, I'll uh, I'll do that for you, no problem." And and, and I, when I do that over and over again, I stay turning to Christ. What is the effect of that behavior? Possibly, most likely, I get I get a promotion. The boss goes, "Man, he handles heat." Pretty well. We're going to hire him. And so there's this positive consequence, right? So this is a, a great biblical counseling tool that I learned. And this thing, believe it or not, I guess say when I was 26, I learned this, 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 uh, this chart and all the dynamics of it when I was 35 after seminary. And this changed, this really changed my life. This really, really helped me so much. And uh, just seeing, just seeing these clear lines between bad heart, uh, bad fruit, and bad consequences versus a heart trusting in Christ, fruit coming in the, out of that trust in Christ, and then good consequences. It's helped me so much. It's helped me so much. Um, and uh, you might not be impressed with my life, but trust me, if I didn't have this. <laughs> I'd be a lot worse. This this really helped me, and, and so these uh, these these verses have uh, talk about the importance of recognizing um, good consequences for good actions and good words, and bad consequences for bad actions and bad words. You know, just uh, maturity really matters, <coughs> and, and and you learn that you see it even in the proverbs. This is incredibly biblical. This this little diagram, and if you want things. I have plenty of them, and you can you can look at them and memorize them. And there's like uh, stuff here, and so if you take there's like three of them here. So if you take it, if you take these three, they won't stay here for another five years. <laughs> They'll be in your house. All right. Well, um, let's see. Let's see. Uh -oh. Okay. Um. Uh, okay. Here we go. Um. Um, okay, so uh, we start with the beginning of uh, 10.1. Uh, fifth, uh, verse 20 begins, uh, 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 let, me, let me just back up. Uh, ch chapter 10 through uh, chapter 15 is, a, is an entire section. It's an entire section. Uh, if you remember, chapters 1 through 9 deal with uh, Solomon motivating to pursue uh, wisdom and maturity, right? Uh, this is what uh, Solomon is doing from chapters 1 through 9. And then from chapters 10 through 5, ch chapter 10 through 15 is, a, is, a, is the first uh, major section. Uh, chapter 10, 1 to chapter 15, verse 20. And it doesn't seem like there's a pattern and there's an order, uh, but we can, it, we, it, it's really clear when you see how um, uh, chapter 10, uh, verse 1, uh, what that says, and look how uh, ch 
15, verse, what verse 20 says. It's, vir vir it's virtually the same, the same verse. Look at um, uh, chapter 10, verse 1. Um, a wise son makes a father glad, but a foolish son is a grief to his mother. And look at the end of this section. Look at how it ends. Chapter 15, verse 20. A wise son makes a father glad, but a foolish man despises his mother. What is the difference? What is the difference uh, between uh, these these two verses? How do they change? You notice what is different about the two verses? It's a slight difference, but it is a difference. It escalates. Oh, it grows up. It's about a foolish man despises his mother in 1520. But in 10.1 it says, but a foolish son is a grief to his mother. Yeah, so he grows up. Good. What else? It escalates, right? The foolish son is a grief to his mother. And now it escalates to the foolish man despises his mother. Right? It grows from grief to the foolish man despises his mother, and that's what gives her so much grief. So in this last major section that began in, um, in this last part of the first major section that began in chapter 10, Solomon again focuses on the consequences of righteousness and wickedness. And in verses 20 through to, verses 20 to 29, uh, it has two subsections. Two subsections. And the first subsection is found in Verses 20 to 23. And I'm going to title that subsection, the first of two subsections, The Joy of Wise Counsel and Discipleship. The Joy of Wise Counsel and Discipleship. And so, um, in these three verses, uh, again, you see how it escalated from grief to his mother in chapter 10 to despising his mother in, 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 verse, uh, in chapter 15, uh, verse 20. And in these three verses... Will, 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 it'll range, it'll go from the joy of successfully raising your children, the joy of parents and having teachable children, and it'll range from that to the son's joy in giving wise counsel. Um, Solomon is going to talk about the goal of our discipleship, which is wisdom in verse 20. Uh, Solomon is going to, is going to say that uh, this discipleship is filled with Righteousness and ethics and morals in verse 21. Um, it's encouraged and promoted with counsel and humility in verse 22. And the goal of this discipleship is right conduct and, and speech in verse 23. And so Solomon in these three verses is going to advance from parental instruction of youth in verse 20 to the need for counseling when we, when we get older in verse 22. And when this is the pattern of your life, you're going to have the ability to give sound advice to others, as we'll look at in verse 23. So in verse 20, uh, we see, as you saw, we saw the same, almost the same exact verse in chapter 10. Uh, we see something like it in chapter 12, verse 1. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is senseless. Chapter 13, verse 1. A wise son accepts his father's discipline, but a scoffer does not listen to, uh, to rebuke. Um, for those of you who have kids, uh, you know the joy of, of when your parent, of when your children, they, when they live according to the truth. 
when they act according to the truth. You, you, you know the joy of that, right? Uh, there, there's nothing that gives me jo more joy than when Paul does something wise at school, when he, when he acts righteously, when he, uh, when he, when he, when he, um, when he loves his brother, when he's kind to his friends, when he, uh, there's nothing um, more joyful than that. Um, and when you have kids, uh, you're, you're gonna you're gonna experience that. Uh, you're gonna experience the joy of when your when your child walk according to the truth. Um, but on the flip side, um, a foolish man despises his mother. And and and, and you have to notice the these these um these pairs in each proverb. Uh, there's there's a there's an imprecise antithesis, and so um, uh, what's 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 um, claimed in the first half of verse twenty? If it's not found in the second half of verse twenty, it's implied in verse twenty. So even though um, it doesn't say, uh, so the opposite is inferred in the second half of verse twenty. So. In the same way a wise son makes a father glad, a foolish man gives his mother grief. It's implied in this imprecise antithesis in verse 20. The foolish man does more than despise his mother. He, he makes it, he gives his a mother grief. And again, it's implied in the, because of the first half, we just assume the opposite. Right? Uh, a wife, in the same way a wise son makes a father glad, a foolish man gives grief to his parents. Um, you know, there's nothing more uh, sad, there's no nothing more discouraging than when, you're, when, then you're, when then your children, when they fail to obey God's word. Uh, there's nothing more discouraging when uh, something happens at school and, and uh, Paul, you know, he doesn't, he, doesn't, he doesn't make the cut. And... Uh, he has to come home and tell us that you know the rules. Some rules were broken, and there's tears. There's tears everywhere. There's tears from him. There's tears from me. Um, so from a very young age, uh, all the all parents we know what what it feels like when our children uh, honor the Lord and when our children uh, dishonor the Lord. Um, the reason why um, this foolish man despises his mother is because we can infer the, the reason just based on on chapter 1 verse 7 when you see the the same verb that you uh, the same verb that you find in verse 20 you find in chapter 1 verse 7 um, chapter 1 verse 7 says the fear of Yahweh is the beginning of knowledge and then verse 7 says ignorant fools what despise, despise. Wisdom and discipline. They despise wisdom and discipline. The reason why the foolish man despises his mother is because she's godly. It's because of the wisdom she gives to her son. The discipline, the godly discipline she gives to her son. And because this foolish son is so proud, because this foolish son has such an exaggerated opinion of himself, and his importance, uh, because he's so, uh, because he thinks he's better than his godly, his godly, he, he thinks he's better than his godly parents. Therefore, he's unteachable, he's unreachable. And so, when you're dealing with a, a foolish and disobedient son or daughter, 
Uh, know that you're dealing with the problem of pride. You're dealing with the problem of pride. Um, when my children get older and they become teenagers, and I see it now, um, when they act up, uh, when they despise godly instruction, um, because of this proverb, I'm going to know what to target. And what I'm going to target is his pride. I'm going to target his pride. Um, and so we move from the joy of parents in verse uh, 20 to your own joy in verse 21. Uh, Solomon says, Folly is gladness to him who lacks a, a heart of wisdom, but a man of discernment walks straight. Again, this is there's this imprecise antithesis. So, um, I want to ask you to see, I, I know this, I, I'm not explaining it the best I can, but I want to just kind of test you to see if you're following the structure and the logic of how these proverbs work. So let me ask you a question. Um, it says in the first half of verse 21 that uh, the one who lacks a heart of wisdom, when he, when he commits foolishness, um, he, it's, it's, um, <clears throat> it's gladness to him. It's joy to him. And so my question is, based on the second half of verse 21, um, just exactly, just exactly how did this fool exhibit his foolishness? How did he exhibit his foolishness implied in the second half of verse 21? I'll give you the answer now, and uh, I'll keep asking the same question over and over until you get it. And, and it's my fault if you're not uh, understanding it. Well, if a man of a discernment walks straight, if he walks on a straight path, then what does the fool do? He walks a crooked way. There's, he does not walk the straight path, right? So that's how, uh, this is how the Proverbs work. These, these imprecise antitheses uh, help us fill in the empty spaces. He delights in foolishness because when he turns aside from the right path. Uh, now, let me ask you a question. The man of discernment, on the other hand, he walks straight, and the, the consequence of that the fruit of that is what? Based on the first half of verse 21. So, if foolish is gladness, when the commit when the committing of foolishness is glad gladness to the fool, then when the man of discernment walks straight, what is he what does he experience? Joy, gladness, right? Gladness. Right? See how this works? So the man of discernment, he walks the straight and narrow course for the joy set before him. The straight path is his delight. No path is more joyful, even in trials, even in struggles. And so this proverb is encouraging us. Sojo, 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 sojo. This proverb is encouraging us 
to seek wisdom, to seek out insight, because um, that'll give you joy. That'll give you joy. Uh, pursue the wisdom of discernment. So a wise man or a wise woman brings joy to his parents. It brings joy to himself. And then when you get older, when you get older and maybe your parents pass away or when you move out of state to another country, uh, do you still need counsel? Yeah, you need counsel. And counsel now comes in the form of counselors, plural, right? Verse 22. Without counsel, consultation, plans are frustrated, but with many counselors, they succeed. Um, when you get older, the circle of wisdom must expand from parents to wise counselors. Show me somebody who never asks for advice or counsel from others, and I will show you another fool. Um, married couples, especially younger married couples, uh, I encourage you to uh, constantly seek out counsel. Constantly open up your lives to older, godlier people. Um, you know, marriage is really simple. There's no, there's no uh, magic formula. It's very simple. You love each other. You're patient with each other. Um, you honor God. You put the gospel first. And the nitty-gritty of the situation, it comes when you meet with other couples, when you humble yourself and you open up your lives, and, and they can really help you. Um, see, the, the plans of the arrogant, uh, they fail. And they fail because, again, they have this inflated view of their self. They have this... Uh, exaggerated uh, view of their strengths. Their plans fail because uh, their plans are frustrated because they're too self-centered and because their plans are just not realistic. Um, you ever talk to somebody and they share their plans and, and you know that these are their big plans and they don't and, 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 and the reason you know they've never asked for counsel or, or advice is because if they did, they wouldn't be sharing these plans. Right? If they would have asked for counsel, many people would have told them, this is not realistic. This is a fantasy. Like, you need to change your plan because this is not going to work. And, um, and, I, and I see that so, much, uh, so many times in many of my friends and many acquaintances where they just don't ask whether this plan is going to work. Um, and, it, and, it, and it almost always never does. When you make uh, just important decision, decisions, you need a, a good number of wise counselors. Why? Why do you need wise counselors? Why do you need wise counselors? Why do you need wise counselors, plural? For... Uh, for an important decision, for a difficult decision, for a nuanced decision. Why, why do you need that? Because if you want to succeed, you have multiple, multiple Okay, well, well, why do you, why, why? No, on different angle, I mean, different perspective. Okay. Because collective wisdom is better than one. Yeah, because the godly counselor that you ask might be mistaken, right? He, he just, he or she just might be wrong. And so, uh, just because he's wise, he's not going to be perfect in every decision. And sometimes you need three, four, or five, and then you realize 
after you talk to the first counselor and when the next four or five counselors all give the same answer but a different answer than the first counselor, right, then you realize, wow, this is the wisdom of talking to a, multi a multitude of counselors. Um, when I got married with my wife, uh, when I was dating her, I think, I think my, my, my wife knows this, I had thousands of his counselors because I was filled with weaknesses and ignorance and limitations. I wasn't, uh, you know, just relationships weren't my forte. And because I really wanted to marry Kina, I, didn't, I really did not want to screw this thing up. And so I talked to many, I had many counselors, and there'd be situations, literally, where I'm talking about, okay, there's a problem comes up, and I talk to four counselors, they all tell me the same thing, right? They all match in their advice, and deep down, I say to myself, it doesn't sound right, it doesn't sound right. And then I had, you know, I, I ranked my counselors, right? I had like, you know, wise, kind of wise, really wise, and then the wisest. And so I talked to my four counselors, wise, and then I talked to the wisest one. And when he gave me the advice, gave me that advice that was different than the first four, and it, it was the best advice. And I said, and it just went like ding, 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 ding. This is it. This is it. You know. <laughs> and, and and here I am with two children and a beautiful wife because of because of that one counselor, because of this proverb, because I talked to multitude counselors. If I would have talked to three or four, I wouldn't have got there. But because I talked to the fifth. He made the difference many times. He made the difference. Um, you know, plans succeed when you have wise counselor, when you have wise counselors, but you also need a humble heart, right? You need to be uh, humble with your counselors. Your counselors, listen, your counselors need to have confidence that you can handle the truth. They need, to have uh, they need to have confidence that they can say it can be brutally honest and you can take it, right? Um, sometimes uh, somebody will come to church for the first time and they'll ask me this big, important question. And I don't give an answer because I don't know him. Because I don't know if he can handle the answer. So I just smile. I say, oh, okay. And I say to myself, if you want the answer to the question, I need to get to know you. I need to have confidence that I can tell you this and you can handle it, right? So that needs to be established. Um, do you make it safe for your counselors to be brutally honest with you? Um, if you're self-defensive, if you're hostile, you know what? Your counselors aren't going to... Tell the truth to you because you're so self-defensive because you're so self-justifying so you can have godly counselors around you but if you have a rotten attitude it does you no good right you need to be humble you need to be humble um and so we move from the the counsel that your parents give you when you're younger and then you get older and you have older counselors and you have elders and and disciplers and pastors and older 
of godly women and men. And you know what? You accumulate all this wisdom and all this knowledge. Look at the results in verse 23. A man has gladness and an answer, and how good is a timely word. Now you get to give counsel to others. You have this accumulation of knowledge and wisdom, and now you get to help people when, get, when they get stuck, when they get married, right? There's so many times in my marriage counseling ministry that I'm just repeating what my counselors told me. <laughs> and I'm just kind of passing it along. And uh, there's, so, there's, so, there's so much joy when you give advice and, and, and the person receiving it and, and, and the person giving it, no, this is the right answer. This is, we get, it's just like there's this, ah, there's this peace. Oh, yes, this is the right answer. I remember years ago, years ago at my old church, we had a, 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 a woman who was divorced and um, her husband wanted to get back with her. He wanted to marry her again. And the reason why they divorced the first time was, was, was because he was unfaithful, because he committed adultery. And so she asked me, should I marry? Should I marry him? Should I marry my ex-husband? And so I asked her this question. I said, I said, um, are you 100% confident that he, um, he won't cheat on you again? And she said, no. I said, okay. What percent, like, how confident are you that he won't cheat on you again? She said, 20%. And in my head, I'm like, okay, why, why, why are you asking me this question? What is the reason for the question? And so I said this. I wanted to say, are you kidding me? No! Hello? No, no, no. Right? What I said was this. Let's say your daughter came to you and asked you the same question she asked me. And she said to you, Mom, should I marry this guy? What would you tell her? She said, I would tell her not to marry him. I said, I agree with you. I agree with you. Right? And it was like, it was just joy. It was just, it was joy in the room. Because we all kind of got to the same place. And um, it wasn't my wisdom, it was my knowledge. It was just knowledge that was just fed to me by my all my pastors and all my teachers and all the hundreds of dating sermons I listened to. And I'm just, I was just going from that to this, and I was just, I was just passing it along. I was passing it along. Look what uh, Solomon says: a man has gladness in a in an apt response. Uh, you're you're giving counsel to somebody in a, a challenging situation. It's a it's the right response in a, in a, in a, in a, at the right time. And then Solomon said, "How good is a timely word? It comes at exactly at the right time in the need of the moment." Um, it's a timely word. It's, it's not a quick answer. You're thinking about what you need to say. You're not blurting it out. Um, 
uh, it comes from years of experience and, and years of teaching, right? And um, when I gave her that seat, like, I wanted to just to blurt out to that woman, I wanted, I wanted to say, come on, are you crazy? Like, why are you asking this question? You know what you need to do. Hello, hello, hello. But I, but I just knew it, it wouldn't be received well like that, right? So I need to think, how do I convey the answer to her uh, by, uh, in the best way possible so she would receive it? So I, you know, all the, all the classes that I took, biblical counseling, just, it, I just took that and uh, I had this, I had this one exercise in one of my biblical counseling classes and it, it was this. I wasn't allowed to give advice for three months. I couldn't give advice, right? And the, and the professor, the reason why he assigned that, gave that assignment was because he knew we, we, we just like to, we, we talk so much and we don't listen enough. So he was like, you need to just shut your mouth for three months and just listen, right? And I was a Bible study leader, so people would ask me questions all the time and I'd be like, well, that's great. Um, Tell me more about it. <laughs> and all I could do was, was pray for the person. But that was the most one of the most helpful exercises because it helped me think, it helped me ask questions, it helped me think of the best possible answer. And because I wasn't wasn't able to give advice or give an answer, I would go home and think about it. I wonder what I, I would have said this, I would have said that. Um, you know, you want to be thoughtful. You want to... You want to not just blabber and talk, and you don't want to, when somebody asks you a question, when somebody asks you advice, they're not asking you for a sermon. They're not asking you for a sermon. They already get sermons every Sunday, right? Your pastor preaches like an hour every Sunday, or they already get, they don't need more sermons. I mean, I used to do that. When people ask me advice, I would have, I would be like, all right. And I remember I gave one advice to somebody, you know, that lady to the Bible said, and then she's after, she was like, wow, you, you had three points in that answer. You had like three propositions. And I was, and I thought I was, I was proud of myself. That was just, I was being foolish. I was being foolish. Uh, I wasn't thinking, you know, when people ask you advice, they want to dialogue. They want, they want a back and forth. They want you to like ask good questions and help them think with their help help them to think clearly. They want you to lead them to the right answer. Um, they, they don't want a data dump. They don't want a data dump. They want a conversation. They want to have a dialogue. They want to know that you really understand the situation. They want to know you really understand the problem. If you go, if somebody comes to you and says, um, hey, uh, you know, Dave, hey, Dave, hey, hey Lucy, um, uh, I had this issue, and, uh, you know, yesterday, um, my coworker, he, he was kind of upset, you know, and he did this or whatever, and, uh, and I'm really struggling with that. If you immediately just go, okay, I got the answer, and you go on and on, and, and you, you, you didn't even know, you don't even know the details. You don't even know the details. And in his mind, he's thinking, you're an idiot. You are an idiot. Uh, I, I talk to people 
who told me stories about, yeah, I, I, I was, I was, somebody talked, told me to go to this person because they were really wise, and I, I gave, I, I told them my problem, and then I just talked for an hour. It was the most discouraging time. What a discouragement, right? You know, um, wise answers are, are conversations. Conversations. They're back and forth. Hey, let me, let me, let me, let me, let me understand this more clearly. Um, let, let's talk about this. Um, and when you and when you counsel like that, look what it says in verse twenty-three. How good is the timely word? How good is that? You can bless. You can you can give counsel counsel that's so good that it blesses every part of their life. Um, verse twenty-four is a transition verse. And uh, we go from the wisdom of, uh, of the fruit, the joy of, of wise discipleship in the present. And we, we look at the consequences, the eternal consequences for wickedness and foolishness. Um, verse 24 says, The path of life leads up, upward for the one who has insight that he may turn away from shoal below. Um, you know, if you're wise, not only is there joy in the present, not only is there the avoidance of, of pain in the present, there's also um, eternal joy and eternal grief. And there are eternal consequences for your actions and your choices and your words. Um, Solomon is encouraging his son in verse 24, Son, take the path of life. Um, avoid the hell. Avoid hell that awaits the foolish and the unrighteous and the disobedient. And now we go from the joy of uh, discipleship, of wise counsel in the first three verses, and we go, we go to the destinies of the righteous and the wicked in verses 25 and 29. And in verses 25 and 29, you can tell that's a, a section, uh, because look at verse 25 and look at verse 29. What, what, what does it share? What, what do you see that, it, what, what does it have in common? Who, who, who do you see in verse 25 and verse 29? The Lord. Yeah, Yahweh. Yeah, you see Yahweh. You see the Lord. Yahweh will, will tear down the house of the widow. Verse 29, you see his name again. Yahweh is far from the wicked. So you know there's that there's some structure there. And, um, yeah, you know, Solomon is saying, you know, he's going to secure your path to heaven. In the meantime, he's going to take care of you. Um, on the path of life, you're going to have oppressors and you'll have enemies. But rest assured, verse 25, Yahweh will tear down the house of the proud. This house, the house here is a symbol of all that sustains your life. And, and Solomon is saying, God will take away your life from earth. He will, he will eliminate the owner of the house forever. And these proud people are violent against you. They're, they exalt themselves against God. But on the other hand, look at the second verse of uh, 25, he will cause the boundary of the widow to stand. He will cause the boundary of the widow to stand. Back in that time, when you owned property, uh, you know, today, what, you have a deed, right? You have a deed, and it shows the markers, and you have a, a document that says, this is your land, and this is the neighbor's land, right? And um, I remember my mom, when she, when she moved in, and she, the neighbor kind of planted like some bushes on her, on her, her side, and she was like, ah. This is my property. <laughs> this is you're, you're planting stuff on my property. Um, 
And uh, my mom was kind of pretty young then, and she was pretty sharp, and she, she was able to see that and to, to call out the neighbor. The neighbor listened to her and said, okay, I'm sorry about that. Um, back then, the, the way you marked out your property, you'd have stones, you have boundary stones. The stone would kind of mark out your property. And the thing with stones is like, but you can move stone, you can move heavy stones. And if your neighbor is young and strong and healthy, and you try to move the stones, it's going to be obvious that you move the stones, right? But when you're a widow and you're old and you're kind of helpless, it's going to be a lot easier. It's going to be a lot easier to take advantage of the widow. And so this is a picturesque way of saying that God he tears down the house of the proud, but he protects the helpless. The helpless and the weak and the vulnerable who trust him, God will protect. He will protect you from exploitation. The widow represents all those who trust God that are vulnerable to the proud and the arrogant. And when, and uh, the world hasn't changed, right? For thousands of years, the old, the elderly, they're just as vulnerable today as they were thousands of years ago, right? Human nature has not changed. I mean, I, you know, you turn on the nightly news and what do you hear about? some scam that took all the money away from this poor elderly person. Like when you get old, when you become older, who's going to take care of you? Who's going to watch out for you? You're going to be really vulnerable. Are your kids going to take care of you? Well, maybe when you get really old, there's going to be a time when you're living on your own, your kids are away, and you're vulnerable to scams and being taken advantage of. Who's going to take care of you? Nobody in this life. The Lord. The Lord. When you're old, you only have the Lord to depend on. And this proverb is saying, He's going to take care of you. He's going to watch out for you. He especially watches out for the helpless widow when people try to move your boundary stone. Um, why will he tear down the house of the proud? Why will he um, why will he protect the widow? Verse 26 explains that. Because the evil thoughts of the proud are an abomination to him. God hates the wicked and the proud. Um, there is a there is a, a, a holy hatred for the unrepentant. But the pleasant word, the pleasant words of the godly widow, they're pure to him. They're lovely to him. God loves the pleasant words that come from a pure heart, the idea of pure gold. And, and this godly, helpless widow, uh, her speech, his speech is free from lies and exaggerations and distortions. His speech is free from harsh words that hurt others. His speech is like pure gold in the sanctuary. They're, they're, they're like, to those these pure words are spoken to, they're sweet to the taste and healing to the, to, to the, to, to the bones. Look at verse 24, chapter 16. Pleasant words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the, to the bones. In, in, uh, thousands of years ago in, in Israel, you know, honey was the most delicious, the most succulent thing you, you can have. It was, uh, you know, it was a, uh, 
uh, creme, creme, creme brulee from, from Paris, right? This was the honeycomb. And said, God saying, uh, this is, the pleasant words are like that. The, the, your words can be so sweet, can be so helpful and healing to the bones. Uh, I, I like uh, ACBC, it's a biblical counseling movement, and, and one of their models is every Christian at the council, every Christian at the council, every Christian has uh, so much helpful counsel to give, life-giving words. Um, don't underestimate don't underestimate yourself and the kind of help you can give somebody. Um, don't underestimate your words. In verse 28, um, we, we see uh, where, um, I'm sorry, verse 27, verse 27, um, how do the proud bring their houses to ruin? Well, they're, they're greedy for gain. God tears down the house of the proud, and the wicked bring that about because they're so greedy. Nothing is ever enough for them. They just want more and more and more. Um, they're never content with anything they get. They get no house is big enough. No car. No car is nice enough. No raise is high enough. No amount of money in the bank account is is good enough. They just want more and more and more. And ironically, they think that by accumulating this wealth in this greedy way, they think they're expanding their house, growing their house, but instead they're only uh, bringing, uh, causing God to destroy their house. Destroy their house. Um, the one who hates bribery, uh, uh, the one who hates bribery will live. He will live. Now, what is, let me ask you a question, based on this imprecise antithesis, if the one who hates bribery, bribery will live, what happened, what will happen to the one who is greedy for gain, who troubles his own house? He will die. That's how you're reading it right. You're reading it correctly. Um, verse 28, this verse tells us, um, what is the source of the pleasant words that are pure in verse 26? What is the source of the greed or generosity that we see in verse 27? Verse 28 tells us, what, 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 is, the, what is the source, the forge, the organ that forges good and effective answers in verse 23? Um, Solomon says in verse 28, what's the source, guys? The heart, yeah, it comes from the heart. It comes from the heart, and the the righteous again, it ponders how to answer. It thinks about how to answer. It ruminates about how to answer. Um, when somebody asks you for counsel or something difficult, you know, oftentimes. You need to tell them, give me a few days to think about it. Oftentimes, you need to, okay, let me ask some questions. Let me ask these questions. Let me give you some preliminary counsel. And let me think about it for a while. And then you think about it for a few days. You come back, let me ask you some more questions. Okay, God, okay, I need to still, I need to pray about it. I need to think about it. Let me get back to you, right? 
And after about a week or two, you have a really good answer. You have a really good answer, right? Um, George Washington, when he became the first president of the United States, he had his, as his advisors, I think it was uh, Thomas Jefferson, John Adams, men who were a lot smarter than him. And they would have cabinet meetings, and they would, they would just dance circles around George Washington. And Washington had this reputation of, hey, I need, I need some time to think about it. I mean, think about this. And Jefferson said, yeah, Washington was slow, but given once he was given enough time to think about it, when he gave an answer, he was very certain about it. He was very certain. And uh, see the, the fool. Look, 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 look at the fool. The mouth of the wicked pours forth evil things. You know, when you ask the wicked for advice, it's like he takes like a a a, a, a jar of, of water and he just pours it on your face. Here, you know, here's your answer. He just blurts it out. Um, you, you don't want to just blurt stuff out. That the first things that come to the top of your head. Um, you don't want to react. You, you don't want to say the first thing that comes to your head, especially when you're angry, especially when you're uh, emotional. Um, you want to. You want to. You want to think about it. You want to pray about it. And then we we move to the, to the final verse of our of this uh, last part of, of of this section that started in chapter ten. Um, we move from uh, what is the motivation? What is the motive? What is the motivation for pursuing righteousness? Um, what is the motivation for avoiding wickedness? And, and the motivation in verse 29 is the nearness or the farness of God. Um, do you really want to live life by yourself alone? When God doesn't, when God never talk, answers your prayers? Do you really want to live life where God feels far away from you? Right? It's dangerous hard life? Do you really want to live in a way that it pushes God away? Or do you want to live in such a way where he's so near that he hears the prayer of the righteous, right? Um, if I'm praying in my room, you can't hear me when, in your, when, where you live, right? The only way you can hear me is if you're in my room or outside the door, kind of listening. Right? You need to be near hear the, my prayers and, and, and when it says that God hears the, the prayer of the righteous it means that he's near you he's close, he's so close he can hear your prayers he can hear your thoughts, because a lot of times what you're just what, you're, 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 you're praying in your mind, aren't you? just imagine how near he, he needs to be to hear the prayers in your mind and your heart, don't you want that type of relationship with God where he's near you then be wise. Pursue wisdom. Pursue righteousness. Pursue integrity. Um, so there you go. That's uh, that's kind of ends our time in Proverbs until next time. Until after uh, until after Leviticus, and then we'll do a couple more chapters after Leviticus.